You are listening to the Safety of Work podcast, episode 94. What makes a quality leadership engagement for safety? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. My name's Drew Ray. I'm here with David Proven. And we're from the Safety Science Innovation Lab at Griffith University in Australia. Welcome to the Safety of Work podcast. In each episode, we ask an important question in relation to the safety of work or the work of safety, and we examine the evidence surrounding it. So, David, what's today's question? Today's question is all about deliberate leadership activities that are designed to foster safety engagement with the workforce. So we've done a few episodes on safety leadership, particularly how it may or may not differ from general leadership and also how leaders experience leadership development activities. But we haven't covered this sort of activity where leaders are deliberately and routinely engaging with their workforce for the purpose of trying to strengthen, I guess, through the, the safety climate. So these this is called anything from Visible felt leadership, I think, has been what we've known for 20 or 25 years with DuPont programs. Leadership safety interactions, leadership safety conversations, a much longer history with things like Jemba walks. So these processes are a very common feature of our organization's safety management programs. Drew, I'm very keen on your initial thoughts about these safety work activities. I think as with any safety work, we need to think about what's the mechanism by which it's going to influence the safety of work. And all of these activities ultimately come down to the same mechanism, which is that they're trying to increase safety by changing the motivation of workers. Specifically, this is a little bit of a stretch, but I think it's fair to say that they're probably drawing on a thing called the hygiene motivations theory from around the 1960s. And the central idea is that if workers show concern for their workers which can be through leadership activities. It can also be through just making the workplace better, putting in drinking fountains, putting cola in the fridge, giving free fruit, giving more breaks. That motivates the workers to want to satisfy the leaders, uh, which assuming that the workers believe that working safer will satisfy the leaders, which is sometimes a big question, causes the workers to want to work more safely. So I guess my concern is not so much about whether it works or not, as to how much effort we put into pulling on the lever of motivation when there are so many other things that might have better influence over safety that might be easier for leaders to spend time and effort on. Motivation seems to me a sort of weirdly indirect way when we could actually improve the conditions of work for the purpose of safety rather than in order to motivate the workers as our lever. My thoughts, I've always wondered, well, I guess I've never really thought that it's effective to go and try to give workers a pep talk as as leaders. What I have sometimes thought, though, is that it's an important way of leaders understanding work as done in their business. So, so leaders going out and undertaking these activities is not to necessarily motivate the workers. It's actually to update their own knowledge about how work is going on in their organisation to hopefully provide more useful context for the decisions that they make during the normal course of their, their leadership role. One leader that I spoke to once was asked asked me this question, why should I go out and do these leadership visits? Because I don't know the work. I don't I, I don't know the hazards. I, I, I wouldn't know what to do. And my comment to, to him was that if there's, say, four or five levels of management between you and the workforce and each level of management only 
passes on about 70 or 80 percent of the truth by the time information flows up your normal management chain of command by the time it gets to a middle or a senior manager it's very unlikely to be representative of actually what is going on in the ground so my my idea around these visits is actually about updating the leader's model of work and risk rather than i guess contributing anything to the work that's going on at that point in time so i think that's really interesting david because I have heard sort of both of those stories, and I think organisations often get mixed up about which one they're doing. And the way in which we measure quality of those conversations, I think, would be very different from those two perspectives. So if we wanted to measure how well they work at motivating the workers, then the obvious thing we should do is measure how much the workers get motivated. If we want to measure how much the leaders learn, then we should debrief the leaders afterwards and find out how much they've learned. What are they going to do differently? So two entirely different purposes of the conversation. And I think it sort of ties into the two sort of different meanings of what it means to be a good listener. Um, You know, one version of a good listener, we have a conversation and you go away afterwards thinking, hey, Drew really listened, he really cares. And you feel cared for and motivated. The other way, I go away and I think, hey, I learned so much from that conversation. David taught me all this stuff. I'd better go and implement a different management practice now because my decision is incompatible with the way work's done. Those are two very different types of good listening. Yeah, I think, Drew, just to put a, an emphasis on, on that distinction is we need to be clear on what we're trying to do or, or achieve with any safety work activity, like you said, in its contribution to the safety of work, and that should inform how we evaluate it. And I think we're going to come back and with the paper that we'll talk about today and just check in around the effectiveness of some of the evaluation processes used in, in this paper. But nevertheless... We're going to talk about a, a paper, and, but before I, before we introduce the paper, Drew, I thought we'd just introduce the underlying premise of the paper that we're going to speak about. And the underlying reason for doing the research from the authors was this commonly accepted, I think it's commonly accepted now, need to move on from lagging indicators. And their idea of an alternative was to try to measure the quality of certain safety system elements. So in this instance is if one of the important elements of our safety management system is management commitment and, and, and leadership engagement with the, with the workforce. The authors suggested that we really need to measure the quality of these activities and also concluded that most of our safety lead indicators that we have related to safety work activities typically only measure the frequency with which they occur. So the assumption there would be if I do 100 of these activities, it's more impactful than doing 10 of these activities. And, and these authors sort of had a different view that, no, it doesn't matter if you do 10 or 100, it's, it's got to all be about the quality. So, David, we've had this conversation offline, but it might be, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast before. What's your thought about that sort of move saying, okay, we don't want to measure the quantity of safety work because that just drives doing more safety work. So people instead say, okay, let's not measure the quantity, let's measure the quality but they're still measuring the safety work, not the safety itself. Do you, do you think it's an improvement? Do you think it's likely to have at work better either as a measure or have better side effects as a measure? I think it has to get us closer to, like we said, Drew, the, the connection between the two. So, And if the measure itself drives a change to the practice, then I think that is, is helpful as well, because we know that the measures at the moment drive volume and we know that it drives box ticking and pencil whipping of our safety work processes to do the 10 or the 15 every month. So moving on from that is is important. I think this quality idea, so whether it's audits 
and you might go, okay, well, demonstrate the materiality of the risk reduction that's been generated by the safety audit activity. So to do that, the auditor has to find new risks, has to find risks with additional mitigation potential, has to work on designing additional controls or layers of protection, and has to work with the business on implementing those controls. So if the measure of the effectiveness of an audit was not the number of non-compliances, it was the magnitude of uh, fatality, safety fatality risk reduction in the six months following the audit, driven by the audit, then I think, Drew, we could have a bit of fun with designing quality measures for a lot of our safety processes that are going to be, in my opinion, better than what we've got today. Yeah, at the very least, I think just the exercise of trying to find those quality metrics gets us to think harder about what are we really trying to achieve by this activity. I haven't actually done this yet. It'll be interesting to sort of see through this paper what the underlying assumptions are here about what they think these conversations are for based on what they think are good measures of quality of these conversations, whether they lean more towards the, these are things that indicate that it would be very motivating or they're things that would lean towards this would be very good for collecting information for the leader to incorporate into future decision-making. I agree. I agree, Drew. And uh, and hopefully to research it as well. I think it's a fun thought exercise, but hopefully uh, the idea of trying to measure these these in, in anger and, and, and try to come up with what we think are the dependent variables of, of some of these safety work activities and then actually try to experiment with, with changing some of these practices and measures. So, Drew, let's talk a little bit about just, just make sure that we're all on the same page about what are safety or leadership safety engagements before we introduce the paper. So, in the introduction for this paper or the, the literature review background, they defined leadership engagement as productive, meaningful interactions with leaders that may improve employee engagement levels and increase commitment to the organization's safety mission. So leaders deliberately going out, and this is where I think, Drew, you can see this paper leaning very much towards the motivation side of the uh, leadership engagement equation that we mentioned earlier. Yeah, I, I, I guess I don't want to downplay the fact that motivation is important. So the paper has like, it mentions a lot of research, which is not directly to do with safety, about how important it is to have an engaged and motivated workforce. And I think that as a goal is a worthwhile goal separate from safety. You know, we want people to care about coming to work. We want them to care about the company. We want them to think that their leaders care about them. All of those things are just good for leave, leaving, living a happy life, given that we live lots of our lives at work. But often safety sort of gets tacked in with a whole lot of other measures as just one thing that increases. And often in those studies, it's not measured very well. It's just measured by employee perceptions of safety, which have this halo effect. You know, if someone says they're more productive, they're happier, they're more committed, they're also probably going to say, yeah, they care more about safety. Yeah, so Drew, maybe let's introduce the fact with the assumption that it's uh, that these leadership engagement activities, these deliberate leadership engagement activities are a good idea and, and maybe... Maybe we we need to we need to firm that up. Um, I guess it's sort of been we we can't really have this episode without talking about the Deepwater Horizon incident. And I guess there's there's infamously a, a leadership visit that goes on the day before the Macondo well blowout. So I guess there's this, but again, there's this this challenge of what what are these visits designed to do? So Drew, let's introduce the paper now. So the title of this paper is. Assessing the Quality of Safety-Focused Leadership Engagements. And the authors are Siddharth Bandari, Matthew Hallowell, Caleb Sheave, James Upton, Wael Alruki, and Mike Kwashani. So, Drew, 
most all of these uh, researchers are connected with the Construction Safety Research Alliance at the University of Colorado, uh, chaired by Matthew Hallowell. Uh, some of our listeners, longer time listeners, might remember a podcast we did, episode fifty-five, which was around a paper produced by Matthew in this same uh, research center on the statistical invalidity of TR of, of recordable injury rates. So some of the authors, though, however, are practitioners, are industry practitioners uh, working as safety managers within industry. Drew, the paper, it was published in the Professional Safety Journal, which is the peer-reviewed journal of the American Society of Safety Professionals, and it was published in January 2022, so only a couple of months ago. And the it is open access published, so we'll be able to put a link in the in the comments of this this episode on LinkedIn. So just a little word about provenance there. Um, it seems to be that the Construction Safety Research Alliance publishes a lot of their stuff in these professional journals rather than academic journals, which shows a real intent that they're producing work which is directly useful for practitioners. It, I don't think it says anything negative about the academic quality of the work. In fact, what they often do is they'll publish something first, completely open access as a technical report, and then they'll later submit it to a journal for peer review to make sure that there's always an open access version that's out there. So I don't think any of the provenance here indicates any lack of reliability, for example, in the way in which they talk about their sources, the way they reference literature, the way they make claims. I think all of that is totally fine. We will have a little bit of discussion later in the episode about the method, but I think there we're talking about the method on its own right. I've seen this same method used in papers published in academic journals, and it's irritated me just as much there as it does here. True. Just in terms of that, I think I think researchers also, they want their research to be read and their ideas to be read. And some of these professional safety outlook outlets, particularly if you're writing for practitioners, then as, as a lot of these research centres are, then I think it's important that you understand where you're putting it and whether or not it's likely to be read there or not. And so, so yeah, so I guess that's, and, and next week, Drew, I, I guess I'm sick of getting my inbox spammed about asking, when are we going to do the take five paper? When are we going to do the take five paper? So listeners, next episode, we've, uh, we'll, we'll finally do the take five paper. And I think Drew, your choice of publication for that paper was also based on making sure that it could be available open access. Yes. That one, again, we deliberately published in a journal with, uh, I guess, less academic stature in order to make sure that it was open access and available to practitioners. So you often researchers have to make these trade-offs. Do you go for somewhere that increases your academic reputation or do you go for somewhere that is accessible? It doesn't always say much about the quality or otherwise of the paper. Okay, so when we're talking about leader, leaders and, and leadership, uh, we'll get into the method shortly, Drew, but they define a leader as a highly influential individual who is not involved on site for day-to-day -day operations. So this is a leader who's not based on that site or primarily involved to day-to-day -day operations on a particular site as deliberately and purposefully attending that site to engage with the workforce primarily to talk about safety. And the main objective of that visit is to show care and concern for the people and to promote safety not being sacrificed for other competing business priorities like pressure or production and for them, for the workforce to accept their responsibility for, for safety. So based on the the idea that what leaders pay attention to, what they react to, what they allocate resources for, and what they talk about and acknowledge in their engagement with employees will set the foundation of the of the company's safety culture. 
So, Drew, very much if we cycle all the way around to the start of the episode, very much what you were talking about with these types of visits. Yeah, but what I really like here is the way the authors have narrowed down what type of leadership they're talking about and what sort of engagement they're talking about. It is really easy in any discussion about leadership or research about leadership just to get lost in these vague definitions where we're unsure if we're talking about CEOs or about safety professionals or about supervisors, where everyone's a leader or no one's a leader, or what counts as leadership activity? Is it anything that a manager does or is it? So I love the fact that they've said, okay, we're talking specifically about people who aren't normally on site, who are coming on site. And the purpose is specifically a conversation about safety engagement. So it's not to do an audit or to do some sort of other activity that might have safety as part of it or some more instrumental objective. So we've got a very clear, narrow thing that we're examining. And that lets us examine it nice and cleanly. What counts as doing this well? What counts as not doing this well? Great. So so the broad method was the researchers started by going to the literature and looking at well, identifying the key positive attributes of these leadership engagements. So what makes a good leadership engagement based on research that's been done previously? Then uh, coordinated a focus group of, I'll talk about in a moment, of, of 11 safety practitioners or managers to brainstorm with them what else should be considered for an effective safety-focused leadership engagement. Then went through a process to score the relative importance of each of these attributes with their panel of safety experts and then organize these results into a leadership engagement scorecard that enables an independent person to do an assessment of the quality of, a, of an interaction. And that was their goal, Drew. The, the goal of this research was to produce a scoring protocol for safety-focused leadership engagements that reflects the common consensus of a panel of industry experts. So what's the quality criteria for these, these visits? And the end result of this is literally a scorecard. So in the paper, they present what looks like an almost like laminated form that you're going to take and be able to watch a leader and you check off how well they've performed the engagement. So Drew, do you want me to talk through a little bit more about uh, what, what went on in those, those phases of the study? Yeah, yeah. Why don't you talk through exactly what they did and then I might make some comments on the overall process. Okay. So the, the core part of the research was, a fo was focus groups with these 11 experts. They were all certified safety professionals in construction safety, all in the US. Uh, they were all active members of this Construction Safety Research Alliance and had an average of 13 years of safety experience and, and a bit more experience in their industry. So phase one. The researchers did a literature review and they identified the validated attributes in the in the previous literature. Now, Drew, they didn't report those. At, I would love for the researchers to actually report what attributes they carried through from the literature into the first round of the discussion with, with participants, but we actually don't get a sense of that. And then what they did was they, they basically gave this predetermined list from the research to the focus group and then ran brainstorming sessions, which they essentially did as a round robin format so that the research, so that the participants didn't get stuck discussing uh, indefinitely one topic. They just went person to person to person, kept going around the, the room until all ideas were exhausted. And they identified 37 unique attributes that could be considered to be criteria for effective safety leadership engagements. Then they went into phase two. Phase two was about prioritizing and rating the attributes. I got the impression that this was probably all done in, an, in the same kind of a, a session, Drew, I think in, in the one kind of session, but it was about doing three rounds of anonymous surveys. So each of the 11 experts would rate the importance of each element on a scale of one to five, one from not critical at all through to five is very critical. 
And then they facilitated a discussion about the degree of consensus on each attribute. And then they went back into an anonymous survey. They saw they got to see what the the mean was of the group, and then they got to reevaluate it for themselves following the discussion. And they went through three rounds of, of this. And then at the end of that, anything with a rating of not critical, which was like a two out of five, was was discarded. And the intention was also in here to describe observable behaviors, remembering it's almost like the safety person's probably going to be standing off to the side with a clipboard rating the interaction between a leader and a worker. Then phase three of the study, Drew, was a reliability check. So they did a process where they recorded some videos of a few leadership interactions, and they got an internal panel, which was the people who were involved with the study, and then two external panels of people who weren't involved with the study at all, and they asked them to use this checklist to observe the interaction and rate them, and their target score was to end up sort of plus or minus 5%. So you get a score on this on this checklist. It's the 15 factors by the weighting, by the score, and they achieved on their first round without any discussion or review, they claim that they've achieved this reliability threshold. So that's that's really the process, Drew. Uh, go to the literature, find out what might be important, ask 11 safety managers what they think, go through a process of scoring and, and prioritizing these things, get your checklist, run it through a couple of lab tests with people who weren't involved with the study and see if they all observe the same things. And then we move forward. I guess, Drew, the, the challenge that we've had since the start of this episode is this question of validity. So what are we actually measuring? And do we know that do we know what we're actually measuring? So maybe I'll I'll hand over to you and you can talk about the methodology from your perspective. Sure. So I should point out that this style of doing research is something that is increasingly popular recently. And as far as an example of this sort of research, this is as rigorous as it gets. So my concerns aren't really about the rigor. They're just about this way of doing research in the first place. If you think carefully about what they have investigated and what they have discovered, there's zero new knowledge being generated about what makes a good leadership interaction. And I give the authors full credit. I don't think they claim that there is. Most people who use this sort of method also make claims like, you know, what makes a good interaction? We've, just, we've done research and we've got an answer for you. They don't make that claim. But they're implicitly making that claim. They're implicitly saying, you know, these are the 15 things that we can use to measure a good interaction. And they've never measured what makes a good interaction. All they've done is started with what the existing research already says. And then they've asked a bunch of people what they think. And so your accurate summary would be, what do 11 experts think are the 15 things you should measure, having already been primed by what we told them they should think? Here's the list. And so nowhere have they actually tested what sorts of behaviours get the sorts of results that you want from a leadership interaction. You know, this is best described as a consensus of what people already think. So from that point of view, I don't really think that it's research at all. All it is is construction of a consolidated what we already believe. And that's a real problem given that I genuinely think that the things that they've got on that list are fairly incoherent when it comes to theory of what would make a good interaction. Because you, if the intent is to find out what sort of behaviours motivate workers or what sort of behaviours change workers care about safety, then we could easily, for the same amount of work, test that out. You, if we're going to go to the trouble of 
having these interactions, videoing them and have the experts watch them, then why not at least ask the person on the other end of the interaction what they thought and have, you know, three interactions where the person on the other end of the interaction felt demotivated, three interactions where the person on the other end of the interaction felt motivated and test whether the experts rate the ones that did the high motivation higher. That would be validating the actual purpose of the tool. Whereas all they're really validating is, do experts using this tool come to the same answer as each other? Even though that answer might be totally different to what the worker thinks. So, so that, that's my sort of big concern here is just what exactly are you trying to do by this research? And it's missing that key step of, does this tool bear any relationship towards what actually motivates or demotivates workers in an interaction? Yeah, Drew, I think that's uh, I mean, it's important consideration for us to to carry forward as we're about to discuss some of the results in that we're exploring what makes an effective engagement between leaders and workers by asking people who are neither of those two. And, and I guess that becomes problematic when we're just trying to make conclusions that we've we've got an answer here. So I, I agree with you entirely, Drew. The research at the end suggests that, you know, that we should move forward to try to validate this checklist or criteria on leadership engagements with, with performance going forward. It doesn't elaborate on what that performance would look like, but knowing these researchers, I'm sure they're not talking about injury rates. And, and we need to know, I guess my comment earlier was, we need to know what's this dependent variable. What do we actually, and, and let's do the research on, on measuring that. So, Drew, I think we should still talk about what these 15 elements are, because I'm sure many of our listeners would have their own views, as the 11 experts in this study had their views on what makes a effective leadership engagement. So without too much detail, I thought it would just be worth running through the 15, just to leave our, our listeners with something that was going to either interest them to pick up this, this paper or not. Happy for us to do that? As long as I'm allowed to mock some of these as we go through. Sure. How about we do that? How about we do that? Um, um, I mean, I, I suspect many of our listeners are going to same, think the same thing I do, that some of these are just so blandly common sense that they're not useful. Some of them, are, I think, are genuinely probably about spot on. And some of them are weirdly creepy. But also, what do I know? Because I'm not the worker being engaged with. <laughs> I mean, literally, this is the sort of work where I don't know if they, people do this to you, but people phone me up to be involved in this sort of research. And you know, my immediate response is just, you know, I'm not the worker. You should not be asking me my opinion. It doesn't matter. So, yeah, by the way, listen, take, take it, by the way, any of my opinions with a grain of salt. I am really not the person who gets to judge whether these are good or bad ideas. We should be measuring it based on the effect of the type of workers who would be subjected to this process. Um, that's not going to stop me mocking. No, 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 nor should it, Drew. And uh, with that caveat, and, and I mean, I'm, I don't get asked to do much research on this, and I've just got a little while as a safety manager, similar to the experts in this study, where I would have happily sat around a table and thrown things out with what I think, but it would have only just been what I think. So let's let's go. So first is that the leader's prepared to be on site. So, okay, the, the, the leader was actually wearing the pre- correct PPE. They knew what they were there for. Uh, they they turned up in the right place and was, I guess, not not turning up in a, in a work boots site without wearing work boots. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious as to exactly what this one means and what impact it has on workers. You know, does this mean like the worker was looked like they were meant to be there? Uh, you know, does not mean that they've got the like mandatory pair of gloves that have never been opened clipped to their belt because the <laughs> policy says that, you know, every site visitor must be wearing gloves? Does it mean that they've got, you know, the bright shiny helmet that says, you know, I've never had a safety sticker attached to this helmet and peeled off again? Or, or is it like just literally, you know, have they complied with PPE and don't look like they're there in a suit? Yeah, 
yeah, I, I think I think we could have a long conversation about each of these, but I think it's this idea of leaders who are showing that they, I guess, again, around motivation, showing that they actually know what the safety rules are and that those rules apply to them as much as they do to the workers. The second one, Drew, here is that the leader was paying attention during the engagement. So they weren't on their phone. They weren't filling out paperwork. They were using positive body language. You know, they asked, they asked questions and acknowledged what was being said. So I guess active, paying attention and actively listening. So I'm, I'm torn between wondering if there are people who do so badly as to fail this one or as to whether everyone shows some level of paying attention. And this then becomes highly, highly subjective as to whether the observer thinks that the leader is like using deliberately active body language to show that they're paying attention. You're deliberately leaning forward and nodding and basically asking, you know, how well is the work, is the leader able to sort of do all of those fake, very, very active listening things that would turn off most people when you see someone with that sort of level of you creepy active listening as opposed to genuine concern. Yeah. And so then you're exactly right, Drew, because um, I should point out to the listeners that the scoring on this scorecard is only zero or one. It's only true or false. So it's it's yes or no uh, for, for each of these things. Um, the third, Drew, was that the leader was not conducting a safety audit. So they introduced themselves and they clarified the reason for the visit. But it says here that they use paperwork as an opportunity to have conversations uh, rather than, I guess, that paperwork might be site paperwork like JSAs or, or work procedures or take fives as an opportunity to have conversations rather than inspect the uh, the accuracy or the completion of it. And they were friendly and personal. Yeah, I actually think that this one is a good one because under any theory of safety, you often have this leader doesn't quite know what they're meant to be doing. So they end up just asking a bunch of closed questions, trying to check that safety is being done properly, which helps no one. And, you know, it doesn't motivate the worker. It doesn't help the leader find out how work's actually done. doesn't show sincerity. I think that's actually probably a good tip is just you, you want to remind leaders when they're doing any sort of visit, you know, you're not there to audit safety. It's better if you don't come across as if you're trying to audit safety. I think that that's a genuinely good one. The leader attempted to understand and learn the project and the specific challenges faced by workers. So they asked questions to really understand what challenges the workers are facing. And they, I guess they verbally appreciated when those challenges were reported and, and the, you know, they communicated the importance of, of the work. Yeah, I mean, that, that's another good one. You know, whether you're there to motivate or whether you're there to learn, that, that's a big difference between a like positive and very superficial engagement is whether you show that you're trying to understand what the work is saying and find out about the work and you, you care about what they're doing. The leader used names in the conversation. So basically found out people's names and used them throughout the course of the engagement. This is where I'm glad it scored zero to one because using someone's name once in a conversation shows that you know their name and you care. Using their name multiple times shows that you've been to a um, pickup artist convention and you are being really, really creepy. <laughs> Because, you know, David, when I use your name in every second sentence, David, it shows that I really care about you, David. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a bit creepy. All right. So the leader learned something personal about the employee. So I go I spoke, attempting to, to shape the conversation in a way that reveals something to do with family background or hobbies or, or something outside of work. And then they also shared something personal about themselves. And they also asked if their worker had any personal concerns uh, related to the work. Yeah, so that could be good, could result in a violation of a number of different HR laws, depending on exactly how you go about it. Yeah. But again, I think our listeners, this is point six, and we've got a few more to go. You understand how when you sat 11 safety managers around in a room, these are some of the very common things that we think are, are useful. The leader asked questions to understand the job. 
So they really attempted to learn about the the tasks and the work environment. They asked questions to and listen to workers describe what they do and how they do it. Yeah, David, you skipped over one there, which was leader asked what motivates workers to be in the job, which I think I think both of those are actually really good questions that do make for good conversations. You Most people are interested in their own work. Most people, if you show sincere interest in their work, in your why they do it, why they chose that job, what they like about it. Those are actually really good conversational starters for conversations about what work is like as experienced by the workers. Yeah, good point. Okay, yeah. So understanding the the motivation of the worker, I did skip over that one. Number seven and then number eight was asking uh, questions to understand the work. So number nine is the leader showed employees how their job fits into the company's big picture. This is like, you know, why and purpose and this is how what you do really helps the organization achieve its its overall objectives. Dave, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm on the fence with that one. There is a lot of research that show that understanding how your job fits into the big pictures does motivate employees. You know, there's a big difference between, you know, my job is to go to people's houses and check their meters versus my job is to keep making sure everyone gets fresh water every day. And I'm proud of it. I don't know how much a single conversation with a leader is going to help or not with that. What do you think? Uh, I think my level of knowledge of intrinsic and extrinsic motivation around people's purpose in life and work is 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 not good enough to, to sort of have too much to offer on that, Drew. I just think in my own personal experience, I think sometimes the search for meaning is a bit more internal than, than external. But it is important. So I, I understand both why it would come up in the literature and why a bunch of safety managers getting together would think that that is an important thing. Yeah, I mean, we spent a lot of time in organisations on purpose and and why and and how to connect the organisation around a common purpose. So I can understand why that's why that's on the list. So number ten, the leader made everyone feel like safety is more important than production. So they asked workers about their work pre- pressures, and they sort of clearly communicated safety as a top priority by explaining kind of the stop work authority if if something's unsafe. Yeah, the, the, this this one I really actively dislike because they've said all along that this is supposed to be about externally observable behaviors and this is precisely not worded as an externally observable behavior this is an outcome and then i don't see the connection between their like sub things that they're looking for and that outcome you know the idea that telling someone about the stop work authority is going to result in them feeling like safety is more important than production i don't buy I do buy a little bit that a leader who asks lots of questions about safety instead of asking a lot of questions about productivity, that does carry a subtle message that safety is important. But what really matters is the absence of those questions about productivity. You know, if they do this safety conversation and then their immediate next thing is talk with the supervisor about whether you're going to meet the targets for the day, that's going to undermine the whole thing. Yep. So number 11, the leader asks what is needed to be safer and more effective. So they're asking workers, what do you need to be more safe and more efficient? And letting workers share their ideas and suggestions for improving the work environment. Yep. They've also given this one a higher weighting than the other ones. So there's a couple of items here that they weight much higher than the other ones. And David, this one, if it's done sincerely, I think genuinely is helping the leader learn. You know, asking curious questions about danger, asking workers for suggestions could be tokenistic, could be genuine. It really depends on what the leader then does with that information. If you know it ends at the end of the conversation, that's not going to be helpful. Yeah, I didn't mention the weighting system. So just before we do the last final one, so the, each of these items that I've read out were weighted between a two and a five. And then 
if they're true, you score one. If they're false, you score zero. And you multiply the weighting and the or you you multiply the the weighting by the result and you get the weighted score. And there's a maximum score for the checklist of 53. So if you pick up the article, you'll be able to see that. So this is that, you know, say if that's true and the weighting is five, then for that question, you get five points towards your maximum possible 53. Uh, which incidentally means I can show up not prepared to be on the job site, not pay attention at all during the engagement. That's zero points means I lose a possible five points, which I can make up for if I ask the worker what they need to be safe and more effective. I get the five points back, even if I'm not paying attention. True. You would true. And and there's a there's a <laughs> there's a an underlying I'm, I'm between the lines of your comment there, Drew, I'm seeing that you you think that if we drop this into an organization that leaders might game it. Actually, to be honest, David, as we go through these bit by bit, and particularly as we get towards the end of this list, and I might just quickly mention, like the next couple are, so leaders ask questions to learn more about the most dangerous parts of the job. Leaders ask questions to learn about how the dangerous parts of the work are controlled. Leaders empower the workers to share ideas for improvement. We are getting a real genuine sense here that the idea is to, if you were thinking about leaders gaming this system, they would be gaming it by pushing away from safety audit type questions towards trying to engage by trying to understand the work, ask questions, listen to the workers. So, you know, even though I've been critical and I've been a little bit sarcastic about some of these items, this is the sort of tool that really is pushing people towards engaging by listening rather than engaging by telling people to be safe. And that's a constant like theme throughout this. It, it really is quite consistent from that idea of creating more listening conversations rather than more leaders just sort of showing surface concern or asking lots of closed questions. Yeah. No, no, I agree, Drew. So 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 we get 15 items and all of our listeners have a view of what they, they think of those items or, or what's missing. And the results they the researchers for for a reason I'm not entirely sure, they they themed those those 15 points into six overarching themes or and I guess these are these are ways of thinking about a, a safety leadership engagement. So number one, be genuine and understanding. Number two, demonstrate care. Number three, show humility. Number four, emphasize safety is a priority. Number five, focus on what matters most. And number six, show appreciation and solicit feedback. That six, in my opinion, isn't actually that bad a list. I think they're great. And, and I can imagine a program to like train workers in doing better engagement, which focused on those six factors in the training and then used things like the scorecard as a training evaluation measure to say, you know, have people taken on board these six principles using these 15 items that we're going to use, watching you do a conversation, seeing how well you demonstrate each of the things through those 15 items. So as sort of development of a training evaluation tool, I, I, I think it's actually not bad. And I think there's a good point there, Drew. I think for practically, and, and it's not in the practical takeaway, so I'll mention it now, but we sometimes use these checklists and forms as a proxy for developing capability in, in people. And we may think that some of these things are are intuitive, but we also know that people have been in leadership positions, have been had to follow in many different companies throughout their career, many different ways of doing these types of activities. So I think it is very important in your organization that you actually invest in developing the capability so that people don't need to worry about the checklist or or yeah, the the report or the form or exactly how they need to fill it out in this organization. And some, something that we skimmed over in the introduction to this paper was it was 
Uh, I don't know when exactly they carried out this research. Uh, the cards are copyright 2021, so presumably they did the research in early 2021, 2020. But we're, we've been moving for a long while, and the last couple of years have really exaggerated that, towards genuine physical disconnections between people doing work and the people trying to lead and manage them. And so it makes sense that over the next little while, companies are going to be making very deliberate, conscious efforts to reconnect and to re-engage. Um, and it's likely that even if it's not part of your safety program, that safety is just going to get swept up as one of the topics that people are going to need to do this with. So I suspect people are going to be begging for tools like this in the next couple of years. And as tool, as development of tools go, I think the, you know, I don't like the method, but I think the end product is actually really quite good. You know, so long as we're actually equipping people to have these conversations, you know, training them first, and then using the scorecard to evaluate how well we're doing that, rather than just sort of like throwing people out there and start scoring them and using that in performance evaluation. Yeah, I agree. I think I think this, the substance in in this work is is helpful for organisations to think about their, like we said before, capability development, but also the quality of these these processes, and to do that in a way to think carefully about how those sorts of programs. Always think carefully about how those programs get rolled out uh, and what what unintended consequences they might have. Because Drew, I could just imagine an organization if you just said, here's now our new checklist for leadership visits. If you don't make any efforts to change anything else in the organization, then you may not get what you want to get. Yeah. And I think the next step that I'd really like to see here is some sort of evaluation of this against its intended purpose. As in, if we are trying to connect and re-engage with workers, if we have people who score highly on this scorecard, does that also correlate with the workers feeling that it is sincere? Because it would be very easy to have conversations that are patterned around a method and a score. And that just creates the insincerity that people feel like, okay, my leader is going through the 15 point checklist. They might be getting a great score, but I certainly don't believe that they really care about me and want to listen. It's like when you call a call center or something and, and a day or two later, you get an email saying, please rate your experience with the, with the call center. What you need is the leader to to centrally report who they've done these engagements with so that within 24 or 48 hours, someone can follow up with them to ask them if it increased their motivation or not to work safely. David, I don't know if you think you're kidding or not, but that's exactly what I imagine is about to happen. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yes, very good. All right, should we do practical takeaways, Drew? Yes, let's. Okay, so so a few here. I think, I think there's a few takeaways and, and some of these might be obvious, but I think they're worth stating through this study. So if we if we move on from lagging indicators in our organizations towards leading indicators of safety work activities then we really need to think about the quality of these activities not just their frequency so this study is an example of that and it can be hard and, and challenging but we really need to not stop at let's count how many times we do a particular safety work activity yep 100 percent on board with that david the second one, Drew, I guess, is when we're doing research, it's possible to design a reliable process that may not be a valid one. So this could be all too common in safety work activities. So what we've got here is we get a group of safety experts together that we all align on what's really important to do. We throw it out into our organization and we, we get consistent results from that particular safety work activity. And we may not actually be doing what we think we're doing for safety. I think Drew, incident investigation might be a good one of these. We've got a process that gets repeated over and over again. Uh, safety alerts is definitely a, an example that came to mind with this. We we may design a repeatable, reliable process that may not actually do what it's meant to do. 
Yeah. I, I know and respect some of the authors of this paper too much to believe that they will do this. But I'm willing to bet that we're going to see in a few years companies saying, oh, we know that our leadership engagements are working. Look, here's our scorecard system that tells us that they're working. And it's just going to be circular. We designed intervention. We designed an intervention around this scorecard and the scorecard tells us we're doing well. Never actually measures whether workers have in fact changed their motivation or that motivation has a direct impact on safety. Yeah. Good point, Drew. I think it may happen as well. And in this study, so point number, I guess takeaway number three, in this study, 11 experienced safety managers came up with 37 unique factors that were then condensed into 15 items and six themes. Now, we're not saying, I think, through this that it's right. Uh, we may not even be saying that it's helpful, although I think we've concluded that it, it may be at least a starting point. But it would be a very useful exercise for you to do in your own organisation to attempt to design a quality criteria for each of your safety work activities. And as a tip, I'd suggest involving the people involved in the activity, not just the opinions of the safety the safety organisation. Yeah, I'd, I'd go a step further and try to measure two things. One of them, try to measure what good looks like for that activity. So what does the activity look like done well? But also try to measure what's a good outcome from that activity and think about how you should measure that. So this is an example of doing the first. They've tried to characterise what a good conversation looks like. The next step, is, I think, is characterising what what would it look like if this works and how would we know whether it's working or not working? Yeah, and Drew, I guess the fourth practical takeaway here I had is that no matter what we've said in this episode, that leadership safety engagement, so purposeful leadership safety engagement is probably a good idea as part of your safety management program. Uh, the way that I took your last comment, Drew, I've said is if the purpose of my leadership safety engagement is to give the worker the increased perception that management care about them, management understand their work, management listen and follow up on their uh, safety needs and ideas for improvement, then we've got to ask workers those three questions if we do if we do safety, uh, safety leadership engagements. Uh, do you feel like management care for you? Do you feel like uh, management understand the work you do and what you need? And do, do safety issues get addressed and followed up when you when you raise them? So Drew, I guess I guess that's my my take is, like you said, define what good looks like and then find a way to actually see if you can measure that. Yeah, I'm inclined to disagree with the way you've put this takeaway, but it may be one of those no true Scotsman situations in that I agree that if we achieved that through our safety leadership engagements, then they would be a good idea. But I worry that we don't. And I think there's an open question as to whether creating specific safety engagements versus leadership engagements whether that actually undermines the whole approach. I don't think anyone's really sincerely tested that, but I think there's a genuinely open question there about whether putting the safety engagements in this special category with the word safety might in fact undermine them as opposed to incorporating those same curious questions that lead towards safety, but are in conversations that are not about safety might, might be more effective. But we don't have evidence about that. I don't want to say that I'm like creating a positive takeaway in the opposite direction. No, unresearched, Drew. I could probably make an argument for both, and but and and won't do that now. So maybe maybe uh, maybe that's a good question for the comments field in in LinkedIn is whether listeners think that should we do general leadership engagements about the work, which may include safety or may not, or should we reserve a special place for safety in leadership engagements where there's targeted specific safety engagements between leaders and workers? Yeah, no, good question. I'd love to know what people think. Anything else you want to add, Drew? 
No, happy to finish off. The question that we asked this week was what makes a quality leadership engagement for safety? Do we have an answer? Well, I think my, my answer, and I, <laughs> I've mentioned yours, is, is that we can't be sure from this study. So it could be that the 15 items in this study make a quality leadership engagement for safety, but we don't know because we don't know from this study what leaders think and we don't know what workers think from these engagement activities and we don't have any dependent variable to test the results on the scorecard against some other uh, outcome, that observable outcome like climate or even engagement survey results or, or anything else uh, that we that we might try to see if we can give effect to through these leadership engagements. But, but at least the researchers have put a tentative idea out there now, which can be directly tested in the next phase, hopefully of their research or someone else's research. Yeah, we, we've defined what good looks like. Now let's test whether good also equals effective. And I suspect that research is going on because it was very much talked about at the end of this paper that in the next phase of this study, they wanted to look going forward at using this scorecard and measuring other aspects of, of performance. So Hopefully we get to do that on a future episode, Drew. I look forward to it. That's it for this week. We hope you found this episode thought-provoking and ultimately useful in shaping the safety of work in your own organisation. As always, engage with us on LinkedIn or send any comments, questions or ideas for future episodes to feedback at safetyofwork.com. 